how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Brandon Rice is a person with an impressive and varied resume across numerous different fields. We met on a rave cruise where he was acting as a tour manager around 2016, and since then he's been A&R for a rad indie label, worked with the Midnight Mission in downtown Los Angeles, and is presently getting his master's degree in psychology. We are delighted to welcome Brandon to Sever Sex. So today was like, I think our first, my first uh, solo endeavor as a host one-on-one and hopefully you enjoyed it rose and or lily will be back in the near future and uh this is such a rad conversation it's a bit 12 step heavy if you're not into that you might not enjoy it but there's so many amazing nuggets of wisdom and humor and like spiritual delightfulness uh throughout so I really hope you stick around to check it out because Brandon is magic uh anyway here is Brandon Rice on Sober Sex um hello (laughs) and welcome to the show Brandon Rice amazing inspirational infamous how are you (laughs) I'm good how are you I'm a little bit out of my mind that just like, you know, mismanaged time. So I'm very, I'm actually grateful that it took you a minute to figure out how to get into the room because, <laughs> <laughs> because I was definitely like not in the headspace. It was good to just like slow down a, a little bit. Nice. It's uh, what is it? 6 p.m. for you? It is 6, 11 p.m. in nice. Paris, France, and, and you are uh, tuning in from Los Angeles, California. Beautiful, sunny, but cold winter time in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> like literally everybody else on earth outside of like maybe Australia at this point of the year is like, you don't know what cold is. Yeah, no, I'm pissed. I mean, I moved, right, I moved to California from, or yeah, from Texas 12 years ago. Then I moved down to Southern California six years ago, and I didn't come here to be cold. Like, if it starts <laughs> snowing, I'm moving. If it ever starts snowing in the city, I'm just, like, I'm leaving that day. <laughs> Yo, when I was, I think I was still in treatment, and I was, or sober living, and I remember being in Malibu, and, like, there was a snowfall, and people <laughs> lost their minds. Totally. Everybody stopped their cars and got out of it on the highway, and were just, like... Like, looking at the sky like turkeys. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like, having to... I mean, I think I was probably included because I was just like, what is going on? Yeah. Also, totally in full mental illness at that point. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the novelty of snow is so big for people I know that grew up out here. And I'm like, I come from a place where, like, we get blizzards and there's 60-mile-an-hour wind gusts. And so it feels like your skin is being ripped off by the cold. Like, this shit can go away forever, permanently. (laughs) Bring it on, global warming. I'm I'm ready oh, for you. 
<laughs> anti-climate action. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I believe in it, but I just hate it. I just leave my um, car running when I'm not in it. I just, it's just running 24 hours a day. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Take it back. You're going to get canceled. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> He's kidding, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. Don't yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the earth. Uh, loves it. Um, so, Rad, so, like, how are you? What's going on? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just finished finals last week. Uh, uh, yeah, last week. So this is my first full year in school since I got kicked out when I was 17. Um, and so it feels like a, you know, a great accomplishment to at the age of 35, now 36, like going back to school and really being stoked on it. Um, so yeah, finished finals and work is always sort of a madhouse and just feeling good every, it, you know, it's, it's sort of rinse, repeat, right? I wake up, I go to work five days a week. I come home, I do AA stuff or I do homework and then I take my dog on walks. I tuck into bed around nine or 10 and read my book and then go to sleep. It's, I mean, that sounds kind of idyllic. I think, you know, so, so I guess to backtrack, um, we met at a time that your life was looking very different than that. Um, yes. Would you mind kind of telling, telling the podcast like a little bit about you and your story? Like we, we learned recently. No. Yeah. <laughs> you grew up in Texas. <laughs> you moved to California 12 years ago, Southern California six years ago. But kind of prior to that, what, what was your life looking like and kind of how did you arrive to this point? Um, it's It's been like a... It's funny. I was talking to a friend, a coworker, actually, like my, the person I idolize in this field, or at least look up to a great amount. And he was asking me sort of, cause he's got like nuggets of my life, but he was like, you know, how did you get to where you are? Yada, yada, yada. And I was like, you know, at, at its root, I still mostly identify as like, um, a country bumpkin punk, you know, <laughs> um, growing up in a small town in Texas and, you know, doing all of that stuff. I moved to San Francisco kind of on a whim. I was having like a full scale, like mental breakdown. Uh, and the circumstances of that That's looked like, kind of you know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like my life had sort of fallen apart at the age of 23 and, um, I sold everything I owned, um, literally everything I owned and had one of those like big tube army backpacks, you know, the big green tube and everything I could fit in there. And the day before I moved, my friend Christopher, who I'd grown up with had moved to San Francisco years prior and had started a band and I'd visited, um, maybe two or three months prior and the bass player from his band, which is a guy named JR, called and was like, yo, our band just is going to be famous. Uh, do you want to come along? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Like my whole plan was to move to San Francisco, get a job at the McDonald's that was down the street and, you know, start my life over. Just be like rock and roll McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah. I am personifying Wesley Willis on the daily basis. <laughs> Um, but instead, you know, I got off the plane and immediately went to the gig. Uh, I didn't even go to my house. I got, I went to the gig, got in the van and that didn't end for basically 11 years. I just stayed on tour. Um, 
until 20, I stopped touring in 2017, no, 2016, um, started this working. kind of shortly after we met, right? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that was, I think the trip I met you on was, yeah, that was absolutely, that was uh, one of the last, like, three tours I did, and um, started working at a label, and then I got laid off from that label because they got, uh, their distribution deal got greatly reduced. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I got out of music and then was unemployed for four months in which I only did yoga and went to the beach. I lived out like my full Southern California fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, for real archetype. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in during that time, right? Like 10 years later, I had another full scale mental breakdown and Uh, got treatment and got diagnosed for the first time ever, which I'm infinitely grateful for. Um, And then a buddy of mine was the director of a um, recovery program at a shelter in Skid Row. And was like, you'd be good at this. Like you've been managing people for the last however many years. And, um, you know, these guys are just homeless, but they're full scale drug addicts still. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is like a familiar spot. And so <laughs> I started like, I'm dealing with mental illness and essentially just managing, which is like being a tour manager. Absolutely. And now you're and, sober. So yeah. And the similarities of the job, right. Are, are damn near the same. And so, yeah, I started, I started working down there. I'd been sponsoring guys, right. I got sober in 2017 and pretty soon after I started speaking on panels down in Skid Row and sponsoring guys down there, and um, I fell in love with the work. I, f- I feel like I found my purpose, more or less. Um, Which, so and I was I'm like, curious, just to kind of like to to calm it out a little bit. Like, what did that feel like <laughs> in practice? Yeah, because I think you know, especially getting sober and kind of. I think it can be easy to think like a to to feel really directionless without drugs and alcohol or without like kind of partying is like the number one kind of north on the compass. One hundred percent. And. And also that like a lot of people like either I know for me, I was like, I had like very much kind of eyes on the prize in early recovery. Like I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to be and like nothing was going to stop me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't do that. Yeah. Um, But I'm curious as to kind of like what it felt like to, to fall in love with this as, as like kind of a calling. Yeah. Um, well, so right, like before I got sober, I, I, I mean, I fully identified with like the fact that I love chain smoking. Um, I <laughs> deeply love like uh, whiskey. I really love uppers too, but like, you know, at the end it was just like I drink a bottle of whiskey every single day. Um, these are your passions. <laughs> these are my passions, right? And, uh, I worked in music, right? I'd been obsessed with music. Music like saved me, right? There's a, uh, Dick from the subhumans is famously made this quote, which is uh, punk rock music saved my life. Right. And that's the case for me with just music in general, you know, getting turned on to music that I really dug when I was 12, you know, saved me from some, a lot of chaos that was happening um, in my family life and my home life and stuff like that. And so I just identified as that my whole life was like, music is the music is my true North. Right. And I was 
<laughs> I was great, right? I was graced to be able to work in that industry, but I made it my personality trait, you know? It wasn't that I had blue eyes. It was that I fucking worked in music. You know, this is everything that I am. And so, and so when <clears throat> I'd gotten laid off from that, that label gig, I went to a bunch of interviews with a bunch of, you know, big shit music people. And I was getting offered jobs in like Nashville. And I was just like, I'm not leaving Southern California. And so by the time I'd been offered this, um, this gig in recovery, which I was pretty contemptuous of like newcomers that like get a job at the sober living that they went to. I was just like, that's fucking bozo shit. I don't want anything to deal with that. Um, and no disrespect to those people. I, I admire them for sticking it out like that. Um, but I got this gig and it just sort of blossomed. My perspective continued to just like widen that it was like, Oh, I'm, I'm genuinely here to like help people just on earth. You know, it's not in skid row. It's not in the rooms of AA. It's not any of that stuff. It's like, I'm, I'm here to help people. And I could sit in reflection and be like the times best spent in my life were when I was able to be present in a conversation with someone who was going through something. And right. If I hadn't been through it, I had a capacity for sympathy that, um, that surprised me. And if I had gone through it, I had a capacity for empathy, which showed me um, sort of through the lens of sobriety, really, that like recovery is not promised, but it's possible in any capacity, whatever you're going through, like you can recover from it. Like, you know, that's been one of the bigger lessons I learned in AA that like, you don't have to stay um, circling the drain as it were, you know? Yeah. Or you don't have to, I guess, kind of keep digging whatever pit you're in. Yeah. It doesn't have to keep getting perpetually worse of your own design. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's, I don't, I don't necessarily fall in line with that ideology and sobriety that like I'm the problem. Like I, I, you know, I kind of don't jive with that. Um, because the problem isn't me. I don't, you know, it's been a hard lesson learned to not personify every single thing you know my problems don't need to be my identity ah what a fucking relief too <laughs> yeah for real yeah, yeah and i don't think i because i think it can be very easy to kind of like fall into that like groove in the rooms of recovery and i don't think that that's actually like that's not the initial intention you know we talk about like we we do recover mm -hmm. it's like and that, like, I don't show up, like, with me, the problem. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, every aspect of my life every day for the rest of my lived existence. Right. Especially in sobriety. But, like, I, I think, you know, and it's interesting that you're going into, like, becoming a therapist and working in, in this specific kind of service. Because I don't think I would have been able to kind of zoom out enough to see that, like, oh, this is not a quote-unquote, like, character defect. Like, this is a creative adjustment that was necessary for survival. Mm -hmm. You know, and is it still uh, useful? is the question not like am I a bad person because I continue to act like this right yeah I mean I was a friend of mine um reached out last week and was like you know I think I need treatment and so I called in some favors and was like I can get you in like first thing Monday you're just gonna you're gonna need to sit on ice for two days if you need to get loaded to stay healthy you know just to stay to stay right like mm -hmm. do it 
um, keep me, you know, keep in contact, but stay safe. And they reached out and they're like, well, I need to like iron out some details and all of this shit. Um, but that same person went to an NA meeting and texted me afterwards and was like, I've been in the wrong program my whole life. I was like, that's great. And so I went and hung out with them yesterday and, uh, I'd never really read the basic text. I think that's what it's called in AA, right? The, or in, uh, NA. And I was reading the preface. The other blue book. Yeah, exactly. This one was black. Their fucking, their logo is so much cooler than ours. They I'm jealous. <laughs> they look like a biker gang. <laughs> dude, and their merch is just tight. Like everything about them, like the key tags. I was like, fucking, if I <laughs> relapse, I'm going there. Yeah, Stones. for real. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys are much sicker. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm scared. But but, <laughs> but I, was, I was reading this basic text and the word freedom came up a bunch. And I don't. I'm, you know, I'm not a historian of the big book or my capacity for um, memorization is not great because methamphetamines cause your, <laughs> can do some string cheese to your brain, but, um, or some Swiss cheese rather, but, uh, I prefer string cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to get <laughs> back into the kind of like folky, uh, jam band stuff. <laughs> No, but uh, the word freedom really, like, (laughs) stuck out to me in that I don't really know how many times it comes up in the big book, but it really struck me, this idea of freedom and changing the dialogue around um, relapse, around just addiction in general, right? That, like, freedom is possible. And so getting into the sort of world of social work – the sort of the talk around, or at least the talk that I've used, the language that I've used around addiction, which I find to be true, is that it's a it's a disease that dominates us, right? I always make the an, or the uh, similarity of um, Enter the Thunderdome, Mad Max, <laughs> <laughs> and there's that character Master Blaster. You know, With there like was like Tina Turner just like yeah. screaming like Raggedy Man. <laughs> Dude, she's so cool. One man enter, one man leave, two man enter, right? But that character also addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That character Master Blaster, which is like this this fucking mountain of a man and this tiny little dude on top of him that tells him what to do, you know? Unlike that movie, I can't just remove the guy on my shoulders. Um I'll live with, you know. I'm grateful to live with addiction because I've found that it's, you know, a utility, not a defect. Um, But uh, this idea of freedom, right, just kind of like, I don't know, lit up in my head yesterday when I was reading that text. And I was like, oh, it's fascinating to, like, use that word. Like, the two most important things to me in life have become, like, language and time, you know, language because AA really gave me um, clarity, it, it provided a language that I didn't know, you know, and time, right. I was a tour manager, so I'm fucking obsessed with time. If you're not 30 (laughs) minutes early, yeah. If you're not 30 minutes early, you are a day late and I'm going to yell at you or at least be very (laughs) passive aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) Is this for the people who are employing you or for the people surrounding them? Everybody. I don't, yeah, everybody. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fourth step, first thing, everybody. what they do? <laughs> Fucking everything. 
<laughs> everything wrong. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. But, and I, I think that that's like such an apt comparison though to a master blaster's small friend on his shoulders. Cause I mean, like they talk about it, like the, you know, the monkey on your back, but like, you know, especially recently, I think it can be innocuous. Like when I'm living in freedom, when I'm like treating the problem and it's working, mm-hmm. then like, I don't really even have a concept of that. Like I can, I can relate to it. Cause I like, I know what it feels like, but like, I don't, it doesn't occur to me regularly while I'm living in it. But then like, for instance, like this last week was such a fucking gnarly week mental health wise. And it was just like, <laughs> like, and I hadn't normally my depression, I think kind of zones in or like, so self-loathing kind of zones in on very specific areas. Mm. And this time it was just like across the board, like I'm doing everything wrong. And there's a constant like script. There's a dude in, on my back being like, you're fucking this up. You're, fucking yeah, up. Yeah. you're probably going to break your legs when you go running. You're not even a real athlete. You're just like, <laughs> like nonstop. And and so to have this concept of like, what would freedom from that feel like? And, and what freedoms do I take for granted on like a daily basis, mostly sure. as a result of this fucking program is like unbelievable because when it comes, like in any kind of mental health thing, like be it, you know, addiction or outside issues, which mm-hmm. you've mentioned being diagnosed with, like it's, it it's such a crazy thing to know what it feels like to be quote unquote like normal to have kind of like a baseline of like of freedom and then to like be kind of confronted with this like other thing that sucks so fucking much (laughs) yeah yeah well that's i mean i've right with the the importance of language thing of like the last probably like two months i've been working on um removing the word better from my language, right? Because it's so, it, it's a, it's a movable target that you'll never hit. And I'm obsessed with targets that I can't hit. Like it's, it's my true north. It's become my new true north, right? Of like, I'm, I'm in recovery. I was diagnosed uh, two years ago with uh, bipolar mania and depression. Right. And so if better to me looks like uh, freedom or recovery from those two things I was like I had I don't know something clicked one day to where I was like it's not about better like because normal isn't a real thing right it's yeah. always quote unquote normal it's never just like fucking normal and so I thought about the same thing with better and I would like kind of meditate on this idea and it's not about for me it's not about better it's about different mm. right because what I really want is a different experience I don't necessarily know what better looks like, you know, and I'm not like, I'm not invested in, in, um, cash and prizes. Cause I don't know what that looks like. Like I would really love to drive either a nineties Miata or a PT cruiser. <laughs> like those are my dream cars, you know, <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like the shitty beach in. boys thing. Right. <laughs> um, but like different different I can experience on a daily basis Mm. better. I don't, I don't have a capacity to experience necessarily because like I've got a pretty warped perspective about like what I ought to have and what, Mm. um, right. That kind of thinking enters in. So especially with mental health is like, I feel fucking terrible today. You know, even medicated, I wake up and I'm like the fucking, it's not some chicken little thing anymore. It's where I don't think the world is crumbling around me, but I, I identify as the problem. Mm-hmm. I wake up that morning and nothing I do is right, you know? 
my, I meditated the wrong way, which is one of the most ridiculous things anyone can say. <laughs> but which but in, I, as a concept, it's like, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally impossible to meditate incorrectly. But, you know, but this idea of like, you know, on awakening, what the fuck does that mean? When can you awaken? Literally any time of the day, you know? So, so if, if, if on awakening, I'm just seeking to have a different experience, then it's sort of a softer, kinder way to go about, um, lashing myself over the back. Mm. And I love doing that, (laughs) but it does me no good. Yeah. But it's, that's actually such a beautiful concept because I know like so much of when we talk about like a, you know, a, a spiritual experience, it's this like the alternative to that is trying harder. Like I'm trying harder on my own power <laughs> to be better <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah. and to make everybody else do what the fuck they're supposed to be doing better Don't to make know. me like, <laughs> I know yeah. if they would only. <laughs> yeah. um, and I like that. Cause it's like, also, as you mentioned, you know, I, it's been pointed out to me and this might be like apologies to listeners who are not in fact like in <laughs> 12 step recovery. <laughs> Because we're going deep, yeah. But um, but I I think this is like such a, a it's one of my favorite conversations to have, just because this you know like when we talk about being restored to sanity, like I there's a high likelihood that I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah. You know, like yeah. occasionally I do of like I know what I want to be restored to, but if I'm really in a surrender, that like I the sanity that I'm seeking, I've never experienced before. Like the better that I is would be my target is like. Fully. If it's created by me, then I'm really probably selling myself short. Yeah, yeah, no, fully. So I love I, that. Yeah, and I think I think you know the beauty that I've found in AA, this like different way of thinking or whatever. Like I was hype about two months into being in AA because I like write these old patterns of being a tour manager of like. I want to see exactly how this works. And maybe it's probably outside of tour management. It's probably just my uh, <laughs> like disposition. Yeah. Like, <laughs> take it but, apart. I mean, yeah. maybe the math. <laughs> yeah. I want to, but I want to see, yeah, for real, right? Uh, <laughs> but I want to see exactly how something works, right? I want to like get down to the, to the base, likely to figure out the problem so I can solve it because I love being in charge. Um but when I when I sort of dug into the roots of AA and read the traditions and did some studying on like that, there's that Ernest Kearns book, um, Not God, where it's just the full scale history of AA. It goes down to like why Bill made the analogy about a boomerang because of an experience oh, wow. he had when he was like 10 years old. Um, but when I dug into it, I found that this is the most true expression of anarchism that I've ever found, that this 12 step fellowship is the most true expression of anarchism. And I've been looking for that shit since, you know, since I was a kid. Um, And the application of that can be, um, can be set anywhere, right? It doesn't have to just be in the rooms of AA. It doesn't have to just be for alcoholics. It's, it's, to me, that is freedom, right? Anonymity, autonomy. Um, a suggested path that no one actually has to do because there's only one requirement to, to even like yeah. be a quote unquote member, which is like also a fake thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no membership, right? But it's this idea of like, you can apply this shit to everything. And so 
And so I found myself all throughout my, my brief stint here in recovery um, thus far is that like you can apply it to all elements of your life. You can apply it to all conversations. You can use suggestions or you can just straight up do the whole like attraction rather than promotion. But again, with language, replace the word recovery just with freedom. Do you feel dominated by something? Does it, is it something that you find that you don't want it to be? And like, you know, as per the, the name of this, um, this podcast, right? Sober sex of like, where do I find my ideas about how I'm a bad person around my sexuality? Where do I find the bad things about like what sobriety is? Because sobriety is, is simply abstinence, right? It's really just simply abstinence, but we in AA take it to mean like, well, are you working on all of these other aspects of your recovery, your constant spiritual growth. <laughs> yeah. Forever. Yeah. And to have a sobering experience doesn't mean that like, you know, I suddenly have so much adrenaline in my body that it ruins my high, but it's, you know, people use the term sobering experience. So, you know, the death of my X, Y, and Z was a sobering experience because it showed me the preciousness of life or, mortality scares the shit out you know whatever it is right yeah. that this shit can truly be applied because at its root it's just about um relief and uh different you know not necessarily better yeah. not worse it's just different freedom. <laughs> yeah 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 that's beautiful especially because i think like so much of this this having these conversations for this podcast have definitely like helped me shake out my attachment to like quote unquote doing 12 step right right you know um especially because like prior to this i found out that in fact i was not an alcoholic but a cocaine addict yeah yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> i'm not allergic to alcohol except for it makes me want to do a bunch of coke yeah and yeah. then stop doing the alcohol so i can feel the coke more which is like apparently not an alcoholic thing to do <laughs> um but like and and to not judge the experience of others like if they're having like, as you say, like sobriety or even not sobriety, but like a new experience in wh whatever that looks like, like whether it be kind of a, a, a spiritual experience of their own sexuality or creativity or a new ability to be authentic in their work or their lives. Like I want to have those talks. So it's, it's really exciting that you're kind of bringing that to the table. And I know that you, so <laughs> now that we're halfway through this hour, um, <laughs> We're now about sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, you touched on bisexuality, but I'm curious as to like some of the first messages that you received around sex and sexuality and like how, what the kind of early ideas that you had around that, like per perhaps way prior to your own sexual experience. Yeah. I mean, as I sort of touched on in the essay that I responded in email form to you. <laughs> My favorite. I was like, Brandon, this is amazing. <laughs> we typically send out like a guest pack um, so people can tell us if they're uncomfortable answering questions um, because we know a lot of this can be sensitive subjects. <laughs> You're the first person to answer them in writing. like, And it's fantastic because it's like we really appreciate the consideration and commitment. So right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a jumping off place. Here we are. Right. But so, but as I, as I mentioned in the thing, like my sexual experience started really young and um, around seven years old with uh, finding pornography and through the, 
through the early experience of that, um, prior to being able to like experience the, the little death, uh, it, uh, it was this thing to where like, I found that I was equally attracted to every single person on the screen and there wasn't a higher amount of this or a higher amount of that. Um, but I grew up in a very restrictive religious town. Um, I was called Did that extend to your family. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story that I was, uh, seeing a guy in San Francisco and one of the four times I've gone back to my hometown for the holidays, I was mentioning it to, he was like, Oh, you sleeping with any girls or some macho shit, you know? And I was like, yeah, I've been uh, seeing this guy, Alexis, um, for some time. Uh, and it's really great and he's wonderful. And my dad refused to use the, the gender identity of he, he only would say she, and he would talk about it, but he would just say she. And I was like, I would continue to correct him for the beginning of that conversation, you know, but that's like at its core inside the family. Yeah. My mom's always been accepting, um, as she found out more, I guess, about my sexual experience. But, you know, I, I wrote, uh, I had like a, I wore headband, like a, what are they called? Bandanas for like a summer. It wasn't a good look. And I don't, I'm glad, (laughs) I'm glad digital cameras weren't popular when I was, or fucking even around when I was like 17, but I wrote the word faggot in really big black letters across it. And I would wear it around town because, you know, I got, I got the shit beat out of me, you know, emotionally and physically for, um, expressing how I felt, you know? So it was, I felt that kind of like, maybe that sort of, I had made it, you know, thing when I moved to San Francisco, because there was such a fluid thing between, um, sexual identification in that city that I'd never experienced before. Um, and so the earliest messages really long or short story long, right. Um, was that, uh, long form podcast (laughs) was that, you know, this was devi- this was a deviant expression of the sexual experience and i love being you know a deviant i truly <laughs> i identify more with that than anything so it wasn't something i was ever like bashful or ashamed about it was like this is who i am you know growing up in that small town i learned that i had to fight for the things i liked i had to fight for my interest i had to i had to become as well informed as possible because I was going to be subject to ridicule and, you know, I needed to be able to defend myself either intellectually or physically. And I am by no stretch of the imagination, a strong person. So, um, physically strong person. So, you know, um, it was never a thing that I felt like bad or shameful about. It was just like, you know, this is what I like. And I would like, yeah. I became an ordained minister in the Church of California at a young age. <laughs> and so cool. I would, yeah, I would hold, like, at punk shows, I would marry queer couples, which was illegal in the state of Texas, but I would, like, do the whole ceremony and stuff like that. That's you know? beautiful. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like you were actually quite supported by your punk community uh, within that. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, by my peers, absolutely. Um, absolutely, yeah. Dope. So, like, from 
there, how did like the okay? So you discover you're by your dad refuses to acknowledge that you're yeah. fucking mad yeah. <laughs> or having relationships with them. Yeah. Um, uh, where do drugs and alcohol enter the picture? So I started using methamphetamines basically every day at the age of seventeen, and um, I started tricking to uh, feed the habit. And in that, I met some other guys that were doing the same thing and we all got along because we were like crusties you know and some of them were already my friends and I just didn't know that thing about them or they started doing it because I did or I was in, you know introducing them to John's uh and then we sort of this like orgy scene popped up of like probably 10 of us where we would just have group sex like frequently booze and drugs were always a part of it right but everyone was consenting. Everyone was on the level when they got there. Probably. I was usually high as a kite before I got there because I like to do my drugs in the shadows <laughs> by myself because uh, I don't like have to sharing. share. Yeah, I, I hate <laughs> sharing. This is my ball and you'll never touch my ball. Stay the fuck away. Um, but so most of my sexual experience, you know, up until I got sober, was was had drugs and alcohol attached to it. In some way, shape, or form. I might not have been totally lit up, but um, I was on my way, you know. I was always on my way. And um, I think starting at a young age, sex, sex or the viewing or the idea of it elicited a response that I was unable to um, get to otherwise, much like drugs. You know, it provided like a, an escape and a feeling and a sense of euphoria that I chased in a pretty unhealthy way when I was younger. Um, I think that was also dealing with trauma in the best way I could, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, but, we've had a previous guest explain it as a disassociative sex mission. Yeah. <laughs> Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it takes, you know, when you feel like you're living on a razor's edge, you're going you're gonna to need something to soothe that out. And that was definitely my lived experience really in sobriety, you know, like I didn't get a, a comprehensive picture, even through doing a sex inventory, my first sex inventory with my first sponsor. Um, I found some, some holes, right. I built a sexual idea of who I wanted to be, but I wasn't really living it, um, in sobriety, right. Because I was still, I held on to this idea of like my, um, my worth is so wrapped in sexuality. And a lot of that, I know parts of that come from my uh, experience in sex work because I was so young when I was doing it that like, you know, your brain, yeah, yeah, you're, you're a, you're a, you're a sponge, you know, like a baby duck. <laughs> yeah, for real. And so, you know, it, it's only been really in, in this sort of half of my, or this current phase of my sobriety where, um, that's become more clear and I've been able to sort of separate myself from this, like, um, vanity is the importance of the lived experience or like, um, sexual worth and stuff like that, you know? No. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something that like, it, and I, that's funny. Like you're really like one of the first dudes and like just double checking pronouns he him you identify as a cis man 
Yeah, if I have to identify, as an <laughs> okay. I identify as a as a man. You know, cool. I I deeply <laughs> wish I was more feminine. Well, no, I mean, but, but that being said, like you're kind of the first man who's brought this up in terms of like, I think women are kind of socialized in a lot of ways to like self objectify mm. and to like have that be like a survival strategy. Mm-hmm. And this idea of like, so intellectually knowing that like, that's not where my worth is. And like, and actually like starting to believe it, I think there's a kind of um, uncomfortable abyss in of like growing pain in between like knowing knowing that is the truth, like knowing that like, Oh fuck, like I cannot, I can, I will, I will suffer if I, if I hook my value as yeah. a human being on this earth to that. And yet I still want to be hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the sort of through this AA thing, right? I really, um, got into, uh, Hinduism oh, and the, Bhagda, the Bhagavad Gita specifically. Um, and there's the, you know, the basic, the boil down of it is like, there's the Atman and the Brahman, right? There is your higher conscious self. And then there's your earthbound skin sack, you know? And, and what the, the earthbound skin sack does has nothing to do with the higher self, right? It just, it's, they're, they're not, you got to take, you got to take responsibility for what this earthbound you is doing, but, um, it's silly and it's futile and it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not real. It's not, it's not really what you are. There's a, right. The bee collects honey, the warrior fights wars and the farmer farms. Right. But what you are, isn't those things. And so the same thing. The ego just kind of puppets around the meat suit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of like, um, my, my worth as a human being is wrapped up in my sexuality. Like I'm going to fall back into that constantly. I'm going to fall back into my vanity constantly. It's not something I can separate from, but if I, if I choose to seek the conscious experience of like, I'm not that right. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a phrase that I actually got tattooed on my neck, which is neti neti, which means not this, not that. And it's the, the term for what God means right? It's not this and it's not that. I can't determine what it is. I have no ability because it's a fucking infinite thing. But to me, that's the lived experience, right? Is that, is that I'm not, I'm not a tour manager. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a, a, a man. I'm not a he, him. I'm not a queer individual. I'm not any of that stuff, right? This is a, this is a human experience that, um, I've been deeply invested in separating from since I was 12 years old through, <laughs> through drugs and alcohol. And Any stuff. number of means. <laughs> yeah. I'll do whatever it takes, man, I'll get out of it. But, mm. <laughs> but when I try and have this softer approach where I'm seeking freedom and I'm seeking autonomy from the things that, um, that can cause me to identify and live, a live an experience that I don't write that I don't want if I'm looking for that different thing, then a part of that is the separation of like, yes, I take accountability for the things I do on this plane of existence. But occasionally I get to sit in silence and uh, commune with whatever is going on out there. 
And that's, that's what it really is, you know? It's that soft space between the lived experience and the not lived experience. So the dance with the mystery, if you yeah, will. Yeah, it's um, the Garth Brooks song, The Dance. The <laughs> How did you discover that you were, this was like kind of your spiritual leaning? That's like, that's not, a lot of people kind of go back to, I think, a, like a spiritual path of origin, like, or find, you know, a kind of, for me at least like a little bit of a cafeteria style but like loving relationship with a higher power but this is this is atypical from from what i've observed so how did you kind of find this as your spiritual path um fucking not on purpose uh i came when i came (laughs) yeah when i came to aa i you know my my father figure died when i was 12 and i shut the door on god um and I started researching and finding reasons why it didn't exist. I love reading the Old Testament because, because God is a son of a bitch in that book. You know, <laughs> He creates and destroys the world seven or eight times before Exodus. Um, I'm like, fuck this guy. I mean, yeah. he advocates for fucking um, a daughter, a, a dad fucking his daughter. Is like he literally. Yeah, there's all these things. So I researched this shit. I looked into it, and I was like, that. This sky daddy shit doesn't work. Um, but I had neglected to look into any of the other world's religions, right? And so I got into sobriety and I held on to the the larger part of my atheism. Um, it was the first like year and a half, two years was an intellectual pursuit. I know that I'm powerless, right? I'm as clear as I can be right now on how I'm powerless. And this idea of sanity, like you brought up earlier, is like, well, I don't fucking know what sanity is. But a power been there. Can restore me to it. So like I'll comply, right? And then I'll turn my will and my life over to it. I just don't want to fucking drink or blow up my life anymore. So let's go, right? And then I had a mental breakdown at two and a half years sober where I checked myself into, well, the doctor was like, you can either check yourself in or we're going to keep you here. And I was like, well, I guess I'm checking in. <laughs> Glad I brought a book. Um, but what book that, was it? Uh, a little <laughs> Sorry life, to interrupt. A Little Life by uh, Hanya. I've got it right here. I can't recommend oh. this book more. It's maybe my favorite Hanya. book. Okay. It's cool. The most, we'll put this in show notes. Yeah, it's the most brutal and tragic book I've ever read about the lived experience. It's a the book more or less advocates for euthanasia. It's really beautiful, the way in which it does that. But I had this experience, right, where I'd set the date, I was going to do the thing, um, and through this whole time, Dave, who I believe you know. Uh, Dave M. I don't know if we can out him. Friend of Josh S. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cool. <laughs> but uh, Dave has been one of my closest and best friends throughout this whole journey. Um, and his sponsor is a guy I really looked up to because he's he seemingly has found a level of freedom. He's he's gained access to a level of freedom through spiritual means. Um, and he, you know, broke that off to Dave. And so when I got out of the hospital much like the drug addict that I am, I not only wanted what Dave had, but I wanted to know his supplier because Dave mm-hmm. was going to give me some step down shit and I don't want my shit stepped <laughs> on. the source, man. Yeah. I don't cover a cover. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I went to this guy, Brett uh, B 
and was like, will you be my sponsor? And the continued experience that he and I had, I'd, I'd read the Bhagavad Gita with my previous sponsor, but through this process of doing AA, it was no longer about an intellectual pursuit because I needed to stay alive, right? Mm-hmm. I needed to stay alive. And this guy had had the same experience at the same amount of time in sobriety. And he was like, this is how I got through it. And so I took what he said, not necessarily as law, but as a suggestion that was so attractive, I couldn't not try it out, you know. And through that, the words in the Bhagavad Gita, which is like, you know, the translation of that is the song of God. And I continued to look at other spirituality and stuff like that. But that one just felt true. You know, it was the same thing as when I came into AA and they started talking about uh, DTs. I shook every day for years. Like I never had a steady hand, you know, and I would have bouts of vertigo and I would go to the doctor for these things and they'd be like, well, I don't know what that is, but did you get high today? It was always this like, well, what are you on? And I'd be like, I'm on the level. It's fucking like 8 a.m. And I didn't drink this morning, <laughs> you know, uh, but when I came to it, right, again, language being the most important thing is, is, is you guys in the recovery community gave me language for what I suffered from. And it provided this level of a different experience. And I found the same thing in the text of the Bhagavad Gita that it, it made sense to me in a way that, you know, I could identify. I could identify in a way that I was never able to identify in my like little you know, staunchly Christian town, you know, and my parents weren't religious. They were, they were holiday Christians, you know, (laughs) only the, only on the majors they would go, but like both sides of my family were pretty um, dogmatic. And growing up in that town, I had a lot of hatred towards Christianity. Um, And that softened around the edges. It certainly softened now. Um, especially like researching like the Christian mystics and uh, Gnosticism and Franciscan, like there's Richard Rohr, who's the, yeah, so great. He's fucking breathing underwater, right? Yeah. He's incredible. The thing he talks about, this is my favorite thing. And let me know if I'm talking too much, but no, uh, this is again, long form pod. (laughs) We love it. He, uh, Richard Rohr has this story where he's talking about, and this really opened up the third step for me. Um, where he's talking about the the grandmothers and the grandfathers, right? In Christian mysticism, these are the elders. And they had gotten together because they believed the word prayer was insufficient. For what it was, they thought the word prayer was pretty insufficient. So they got together and they convened and they came up with a new word. And that word was contemplation. Mm. If contemplation and meditation aren't the same fucking word, then I don't know what. Get out of here. You know? <laughs> But that was the thing is like, I'm contemplating it's, it's, I'm having an active conversation. A big problem that I always had with AA and Christianity was this idea of a passive experience. I'm not willing Mm -hmm. to have a passive experience. I know what I want and I know what using forcing my will into the things that I want look like because that's been my lived experience, but I don't need to be entirely passive. There's, there is a path that I want to walk down, right? This like social work therapist stuff is, is a path I want to walk down. So I place myself in the position to be 
in that lane, right? But it doesn't mean I'm forcing it. It absolutely doesn't, you know, I try my hardest not to force it. I have a sexual ideal. I place myself in the position of that, knowing that like, you know, my higher power or whatever I choose to call it on any given day is understands that, you know, I'm a fool <laughs> and I'm <laughs> going to fuck, anyway. <laughs> yeah, fuck it up, but it's not this passive thing of just like, God, show me where I'm meant to be. Like, yeah. no, I know. Or this like, I don't like lying in front of the door, like waiting for God to like put pizza slices. In the mailbox. <laughs> that would be incredible. My God is a pizza hut delivery man. <laughs> Big ups Please. To, yeah. We can bleep out pizza, no. out, but if I say crispy, people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, but I like it, and I'm, I'm curious as to kind of how your chosen spiritual path and how this also like, and I share this uh, like a, a a deep affection for the kind of role of deviant. Mm-hmm. Like I know for me, and part of the reason that we started this podcast is because it took me like a fucking decade of sobriety to like be able to like find a home in quote-unquote, like, equally equal parts, like, deviant, but also finding that my own deviance was, like, fucking adored by God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what I call God. Yeah. So I'm curious as to kind of how you, like, were managed to find, like, a, find that, if it's true for you, like, between kind of deviant, spirituality, sobriety, sexuality. 100%. So, so my first sponsor... Um, more or less belonged to a couple different fellowships. He was like a fellowship of the spirit guy. He's a Roxbury guy, which is whatever. Night um, at? Yeah. I don't know the Roxbury. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but it sounds cool. That's a thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wish it were that. I deeply wish Chris Catan was just there, like jerking his neck <laughs> back and forth. But, uh, and, then, and then he was also a part of a fellowship called um, Primetime. And I would go to primetime. Primetime. Right. I went to some primetime retreats and I went to some of their meetings. And a th- the thing that I kind of identified the most with, and this is like still, you know, swimming in the pool of atheism uh, in sobriety, is that the guy who started this guy named Bob A., um, a big thing for him was bringing, he was like, it's a step two program, right? Finding a God that will restore you to sanity. <clears throat> or being willing to find a God that will restore you to sanity. Um, and his whole thing was like, you got to bring God into everything, including your sex life, including your sex life. And uh, that really stuck with me in that, like my express, my expression of sexuality, right? I like everything. I've found one thing in the sexual experience that I don't like. You know, and I'm willing to have a different experience with that thing because maybe just the, you know, the handful of times that I did it didn't, you know, appeal to me in that moment. But it doesn't mean it won't ever appeal to me. But this idea of bringing God into it is that, like, I don't want to believe in a punitive God. I don't have any room in my life for a, a, for a God that thinks that I'm a bad person. So if this idea of universal love exists within my higher power or my God then the way I express my sexuality is um, as long as it's like safe and consensual and stuff like that, as long as that, that expression exists and, you know, 
it's not harming anyone, then why wouldn't God be a part of that? You know, does God care if I suck dick? Absolutely not. You know, God's like, are you having fun? Yeah, is this enjoyable? <laughs> it's not like, yeah, it's not sitting there being like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like this stuff, right? Like, and also the thought of that is really like ridiculous. Like to have a God who's like, ah, like yeah. to be like to like an act like somebody uncertain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> that's want, a good choice for you. I want my God to like <laughs> be in a harness in a sex swing, and he's like a barrel-chested Tom of Finland guy, just being like, "You're doing good," <laughs> and that's like inside and outside of the ba- bedroom. You know, you got it, Krishna yes. in full bondage, gimp suit, Krishna. So this is what I want. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a beautiful image. Thank you for sharing. Like, I'll try and find, I will try and find this for the Sober Sex Instagram. Right, yeah. <laughs> to illustrate oh, the suit Krishna. I can't, I can't advocate <laughs> enough for the Tom of Finland house. Um, I, it's a beautiful organization that I really love. And they had an art fair last week at um, some place in LA, some other place other than the house. Um, but the... <clears throat> To me, art of any form is a devotional act, right? Like, I deeply believe that music is a devotional act. Something bigger is being transmitted there. But I think the same thing exists within art that, like, because it's different for every person, because they're viewing it, elicits something different than no two people have the same experience. Like, that's the spiritual experience, right? And so going and looking at all of this, like, quote, unquote, deviant art is like, these people are expressing love and joy and sorrow and all of the other things that people like or dislike about like Mark Rothko, they're just doing it in a, in a much more, it's punk, right? It's abrasive because it's challenging your ideas of, of this and that. But like, you know, I've loved every bit of that because it is that like, what's your God look like? Well, none of your fucking business. It's mine, you know? Yeah, I don't like, like how is how is your God judging? It's also yeah, like yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if if That's... you know why would it why would it why would it tell me I'm bad? Oh fucking you know. It's not my mom, yeah. it's not my dad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love, I mean, I think that that's really important to hear, you know, because like, A, a lot of this stuff is taboo to talk about within 12-step communities or even, you know, like outside of 12-step communities, like just generally. And again, part of the reason that we kind of started the podcast is to like have these conversations because I think it can be so easy to like get stuck in a place where you can't talk about it and you don't know what quote unquote normal might look like or the variety of spiritual experiences people are having in this specific area. Right. Um. So I'm very curious about like a briefly how you got how you managed to kind of go from like DTs and getting fucked up every day to getting sober and then how that like your present recovery which sounds like it's like I I I'm trying to think about it sounds like such a fucking different experience <laughs> than it was yeah. obviously to to how that affects your sexual or romantic life yeah um so right shaky newcomer with uh with spaghetti for brains um kicking around the rooms and gaining this language for like what what i suffered from right being armed with the facts and then really page uh or not page 
Do it. Go in. I'm trying to think of it. I think it's page 69. Uh, funnily enough, it's like 68 and 69, right? The sexual inventory. Um, but this yes. idea of a straight pepper diet. What's a straight pepper diet? Because I'm not subjecting my my sexual appetite to fucking Bill W., a book written in 1939, when when part of my sexual expression was absolutely fucking illegal. I am not subjecting this to an old idea about what sex is. Sex is, has always had uh, the deviant expression, right? This It goes so far back. If you look at the yeah, art. and removing it from like shame and like yeah, as you say, the kind of paradigm that was created for people that aren't living what you're living. Right. Yeah. It's it right. It's my experience to have, and so, and so while I never felt guilty for um, the sex that I've had, um, or shameful, I guess I've never felt shameful about uh, my sexuality. I've I've done things in sobriety. Um, I've used, I've weaponized sex in my sobriety, right? Um, through a character defect of manipulation. I know I'm a, I can be a highly manipulative person, um, because I'm selfish at the end of the day, right? The, this thing that is not the real me, but the thing that I have to take accountability for, um, in early sobriety, I was looking for any way to cure the Jones, you know? because the experience was yeah. so different that it just fucking terrified me. And I had been living with undiagnosed mental illness for fucking years. I was di- I was, I was treating it the best way I could. And suddenly I stopped taking all of my medicine all at once, you know? So, so I was looking for any means necessary to feel better. And I was in a relationship at the time and, and, you know, I did things I, I've, I try not to use the word regret too much, um, yeah. but I did some things I wasn't proud of. I did some things yeah, that I perhaps misaligned with who you wanted to be. Absolutely. Because I didn't know who I wanted to be and that's not a bypass, right? Um, I didn't, <clears throat> I acted in ways that I, that I would have rather not. Right. But I didn't have the maturity or the emotional intelligence to kind of uh, see it for what it was. And so, through the continued experience of sobriety, I've gotten more clear on um, the sort of sexual being that I want to be. I know I don't have access to this like super suave, you know, fucking fluid person where I'm like, hey, baby, blah, blah, blah. You know, I shake like a Is fucking... That, I'm like, I'm like, I don't think that's actually a sex ideal. No, I don't either. I don't either, right? But like, just to be like very cool is my sex ideal yeah, yeah, i just want to be a cool guy right but like i ideally right my sexual ideal is that like i shake like a chihuahua in this in the sexual experience when i'm uncomfortable i literally shake physically i have a reaction and i know i'm doing the wrong thing there's no question i have a physical manifestation of this jimmy cricket shit right you shouldn't do that or hmm. there is no right you like, have like a, a super somatic experience of like being like this is not it <laughs> yeah it's a whole ass thing you know i feel like i should be doing yoga instead of this you know this thing and so i try and listen to that more often than not because i again for me personally this idea of better doesn't fucking exist and so when i build a sexual ideal it's um 
it's not a blanket, right? It doesn't yeah. cover everything because I'm never going to be able to cover everything. The, the shit I decide today is going to look way different a year from now. My true sexual I, ideal is like cause as little because harm is inevitable cause as little amount of harm as possible. Really, that's truly what it is. I want to be like emotionally there for people, but emotions scare the shit out of me still, you know, yeah. I've gotten better at it, but emotions really terrify me. And I work on these things to the best of my ability, but I'm not going to subject myself to being like, well, you, you fucked up, you know? Yeah. I mean, but I think like, it's, it's almost in my experience, it's quite in line with what you were talking about, about like kind of being in the, like the breezeway of like the wind of a higher power just to be like, is like you said, like, am I causing no harm? But like, what's the positive of that? Of like, am I acting with like integrity or authenticity? And I'm, am I like behaving in relationships, like whether that be short-term or, you know, long-term romantic relationships in a way that feels aligned with like the love of what I call God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Am I being, and also I think it's, 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 am I being true to myself? Am I being this picture of what I think I ought to be? Or is this like really, because, you know, bondage, right? Just BDSM in general has, has some elements of harm in it, right? Mm -hmm. Perceived harm, not actual harm, but perceived harm. It seems, uh, it seems extreme to some people. And to some people, that's an absolute spiritual experience. There is a release that happens there that is, you know, incapable of being expressed in another way. If that's how I am currently choosing to um, express myself in this way, right, then I'm being authentic with myself. I'm not subjecting it at any point in time to anything else because if God exists in everything, if, you know, if a higher power exists in everything, then it's absolutely present in that moment. And not only do I have a higher power in that moment, the other person has a higher power in that moment. And those two things are convening with their own higher power. It's this, you know, this <laughs> infinite spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that, no, I don't know. No, totally. And I think also that it's like, I mean, the next question on on the, on the sheet is like, what's inspiring you right now? But I do think that there's something that like, that whatever one's kind of like, I use the word kink because it feels easy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know a lot of people don't identify as kinky, but for the sake of ease, we'll go there. Um, But whatever one's kind of thing is, it's like this idea of like an access point, Mm -hmm. you know, to like, as you were saying, like something that is un experienceable in any other way right you know and and i think that there is like there can be tasting god in that you know like even even or perhaps your case especially if it's if it's deviant (laughs) and and actually that like this form of spirituality that can be kind of touched in a way that might not be kind of traditional Mm -hmm. is in itself like a, a like a a delight of the universe yeah yeah you know no i think and i think oh go ahead no i was gonna say there's a like i think it's a a sufi mystic it's like rumi or hafiz who who talks about like 
got the the spiritual experience being of like two fat guys in a boat continuously like bumping into each other and laughing. Like, that's sick. I like that a lot. <laughs> it's like the cutest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like maybe that's it. You know, like that. Th- this is just a little bump with the divine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think not everything needs to be taken so fucking seriously, you know? Like, what is the purpose in defining all of this stuff? Like, it, like, for me, right? I can only speak for myself, but like, do I feel safe? Am I providing a safe space for another person? Am I as conscious as I can be? Am I safe? Is the other person safe? Is this consensual? Am I causing harm? Is there a potential to cause harm? Is, is everything as above the board is as possible, right? If you can answer all of those or even make a pretty informed guess, if all of those things are on the level, then who's to say it's wrong, you know? Because they're not there with you, so why the fuck are you thinking about them? Be present. For God's sakes, be present, you know? Yeah. Because that's all you've uh, got. You're exactly where you are. There's that, right, Eckhart Tolle, the, the modern Canadian philosopher, right? <laughs> Does he be here now? Yeah. Or is that Ram yeah. Dass? No, be here now is Ram Dass, but uh, the, the power, power of now, of now right? Yes. Uh, the power of now. Be here with the power of yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, you're You're full whole on and capable of being anywhere else than you are right now. And you can only be with the presence of the people that you're in the room with, or, you know, there's a Bill Callahan quote. I like, I used to hate uh, the word God and there's a Bill Callahan quote. I, I love, which is God is just a word and the argument ends there. Right. So why can't this idea of God be in the room with you? Because it's a fucking word, you know? It's an unsuspected inner resource which people presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. So if it's in me, it's in every expression that I do. It's literally everywhere. And everything. Like, that's the choice, right? Yeah, 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 totally. I, 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 you know... I, I think it's ought to be here. I think it ought to be there. But fucking it's everywhere. Who gives a shit? Don't take it so goddamn seriously. <laughs> well, just kind of speaking of which, I'm like, I, because most of our interactions kind of since we met, which was on a fucking rave cruise. Yeah. <laughs> that, like have been a kind of on, about our work life. I'm like, so I'm so moved that you've become like a big book scholar. Yeah. And it's like, the I'm just like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> um, and so this conversation has been such a delight, but before we close out and to end on that, like, don't take it so good, goddamn seriously. Yeah. Um, note, uh, we are going to pivot into the lightning round. Um, so don't think too hard. All just right. have fun. What's cool. the favorite series you've watched this year? I don't like TV. Oh, <laughs> then book. Uh, <laughs> Such a polite Brandon, that answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite book that I read this year. I'm looking at all of the books. Uh, oh, uh, 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 On Earth We Are Briefly Beautiful by Ocean oh. Vyong. Fantastic. Beautiful. Um, if you could be any animal, what would you be? You're like, I don't like animals. <laughs> I fucking hate animals. <laughs> uh, I'd be a bird. I'd be a crow. Awesome. 
Ooh, yeah. very controversial choice. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently they're like <laughs> they when, have great memories. When they're in a pack, they're called a murder. Fucking name I a cooler it. pack of animals. A murder. So god. Yeah. It's a blessing of unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what turns you on? Uh humans. Great answer. Do you have a motto? Uh, fair enough. <laughs> Very useful. Um, I mean, like, and is it? <laughs> is the question. Like, probably not. Life is not fair. First lesson. Um, the determination <laughs> of good and bad, which is a fool's errand. Indeed. Um, what do you love? My dog, Max. Oh. Max is very adorable. I, I concur. Um, and where can listeners find you on the World Wide Web if you want to be found? And if you don't want to be found, this can remain entirely anonymous, and we'll just call you Brendan R. Oh, um, I live a, bo- a very boring life, which is documented in photos. Lots of dog photos. Lots of dog <laughs> photos. Uh, pepperoni eyes. That Beautiful. is my at. At me. At me at pepperoni eyes. <laughs> so I like how the, the the conversation has gone from like spiritual, spiritual, professional, very sober, like a, a storied history of being a monstrous drug addict, <laughs> um, and we 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 land on pepperoni eyes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank for, you like, for having such a beautiful me. conversation. A true joy. Thank you.